Hey there, product security pros, David and Shlomi here. Hosting the Left to Our Own Devices podcast has been a privilege. During the past two years, we had the opportunity to chat with top product security minds from the likes of CISA, the FDA, Boston Scientific, Jaguar Land Rover, and many others. 20,000 listeners and 50 plus guests later, we thought it was time to take things to the next level and launch the first virtual conference for product security. Left to Our Own Devices, the conference. Join us on April 3rd, 9 a.m. EST for fascinating and practical sessions from the world's top product security minds across industry, government, and academia, entirely online and completely free. KPMG, Showstack & Associates, OpsRight, Valentium, and ASRG have already joined as partners or speakers. To sign up for free and save your spot, go to cybellum.com conference. That's C-Y-B-E-L-L-U-M dot com slash conference. See you there and enjoy the show. You're listening to Left to Our Own Devices, the podcast dedicated to everything product security. Our guest today is uh, Asaf Atzmon. Asaf uh, has had, uh, I think, one of the most interesting careers in product security uh, and specifically in automotive security. So just to list a few of his, of his past uh, positions, he was the uh, former vice president of uh, automotive cybersecurity at Harman. Uh, he was an IoT uh, automotive security director at Cisco. And more recently, he was also the former consultant to Cybellum. So, uh, Asaf, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, so, I guess we can start with a, you know, a general question, simply because you had such an interesting background. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in product security? So, you know, in my background, I still consider myself a, a tech guy. I've been uh, playing with computers from very early days. Uh, since I was 10, probably. You know, most of my career never got very far from the technology side of things. But more specifically, very quickly, I found myself uh, doing less of the coding stuff and more excited and engaged about the customer-facing aspect, uh, which kind of led me to doing roles mostly in product management, CDO-like uh, innovation roles and, and business uh, development. Specifically for security, I've kind of been in and out in this field back from 2004, where I started working in a company that dealt with uh, content protection, uh, not, not so much cybersecurity, more about, you know, that's where first I kind of got acquainted with things around the cryptography and uh, encryption and things like that. But really went deep into product security uh, when I joined Cisco in 2013 in the uh, automotive cybersecurity uh, team that they, they started not long before that. And since then, I've been mostly dealing with uh, that specific area of uh, cybersecurity for connected vehicles. That's really interesting, and you've got a really, really strong background, and you've kind of watched the uh, the automotive uh, cybersecurity practice evolve, you know, to what it is today. So, what would you say are the main events that that really shaped 
automotive cybersecurity market to where we are now? I think, you know, I will talk about some events in a second, but as a, as a general statement, uh, it's been a gradual awareness that just kept growing uh, uh, with every year. And in 2013, it's where I started, uh, there was almost no talk at all about cybersecurity for vehicles, apart from several academic papers and some really early uh, thought leaders that I think in general just uh, followed a trajectory that when things get connected and when things get um, computerized, then hacking soon follows, which kind of entails that you would have to need to have security. Uh, but when I started working for Cisco, it was pretty hard to get the uh, attention of a lot of the senior people at, at the market. Uh, mostly, I mean, some companies were more advanced than others, but in most cases, security was kind of considered uh, a requirement, something that was generally being given to the uh, functional safety people of vehicles to deal with because that was the, I guess, the closest thing uh, in terms of, you know, where it fit. Along that, there was also practically zero attention uh, uh, from from the main street, right? I mean, if you, uh, people were not even aware, even though in 2013, a typical computer was already... uh, a machine running huge amounts of codes and in definitely in some areas of the world uh, heavily connected, people did not even consider that things in their cars can be messed and can be messed from remote um, other than, you know, what you would consider a traditional breaking into the window or stealing your car or things like that. And one thing that... I think changed that very significantly was in 2015 when uh, two researchers, uh, uh, Miller and Valasek, uh, came out with what is now known as, as the JPEG, and they uh, partnered with, with uh, the Wired uh, editor and, and put a, a title on Wired that basically uh, tell the story of how they uh, hacked a Jeep car while he was uh, driving on the highway and they were sitting in the house and just uh, really managed to control many of the functions of the Jeep hack. And I think that this is a story that, at least if, you, if you're in, in vehicle uh, world, is, is very famous now. But to me, that was a, a, a very interesting event, not because it surprised me. I've been doing and dealing with things uh, like that for several years already. I, I already knew the possibilities, but it was really uh, a very well-told story that had a very nice distribution and really kind of made the average Joe start thinking, uh, wait a minute, uh, so that car I'm driving, it can actually be hacked? And is it just the Jeep? Is it other cars? Uh, yes. <laughs> short story, short answer, yes. can be many other cars. And you started seeing um, people more uh, considering that uh, when they buy a car, you start seeing things in uh, ma- mainstream TV, like in uh, a 60 Minutes show. And you also started to see more activity going in the government space. Uh, about that year, maybe a year after, there was 
Senator Merkey and then Senator uh, uh, Blumenthal that came with uh, proposals for bills or, or kind of pushing the industry to have more uh, ownership and more uh, scrutiny into what they build in terms of security. So it became a, a thing, really. And you could feel that. Uh, you could feel that in the dialogue. You could feel that in the uh, automotive companies that started taking things more seriously, uh, reorg- reorganizing their teams, building cybersecurity teams. And you also started to see some acquisitions going on. And I uh, personally uh, saw one of these ex- acquisitions because after I left Cisco, uh, I joined a, a startup called TowerSec. And soon after, Taosec was acquired by uh, Harman, which is a very big uh, T1 uh, supplier. Uh, and but 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 there were other acquisitions as well. Uh, there was other startups in the cybersecurity, like Argus, being uh, acquired by Continental, and many both automotive manufacturers and suppliers start kind of arming themselves, uh, equipping themselves with capabilities, uh, whether it was organically or inorganically. Uh, and start understanding that they have to invest some money uh, and raise the standard in terms of how to build the cars. One thing that's interesting to me is that um, when I was growing up, I remember the old advertisements. I think it was Volvo who had the advertisements where they would take the little children and put them into the back seat, and uh, you know, then they would drive off and they would say something like uh, Volvo for a secure drive or or something like that. And really what we're seeing is the transition from uh, functional safety, if I can call it that, to cyber safety. But we're not leaving functional safety behind. We're just adding on another level of security or, or safety that needs to be built into the automotive uh, you know, industry. It's a good point. It's interesting. And, and I talked uh, many, many times about the kind of relationship between safety and security. And it's not as a as simple as it, it, it may sound. And, and first of all, I would say that you know, Volvo is a great example of a company that took, took the safety aspect and made it its, its story, right? Its brand. Uh, but nobody did it for cybersecurity even to this day. And I think the main reason is because sometimes, unlike safety, it can backfire at you. Like uh, you would say, I'm, I'm, you know, buy this model. It's the, it's, it's, it's the secure model, right? That makes you think, okay, so all your other models are not secured. Or, or even worse, the hackers may now think, okay, let's try to hack this car and see if it's really secure or not. So, so many companies invested in security, but weren't very uh, outspoken and loud about it. Um, and at the same time, the safety message uh, also got a little more complicated because one of the, <laughs> I, I, I call it the paradox of safety. One of the things about safety is that typically, if you want to have a safe car and you want to build active safety systems into it, you start equipping it with a lot of sensors, a lot of uh, computer code, a, lo- a lot of connectivity, and you start wiring up your uh, uh, system. I mean, think ADA, think autonomous vehicle. Now, that may make the car more safe, but it's not necessarily making it more secure. It could be actually the other way around because now you have more code, more probability of bugs, more uh, sensors and ways to get into the cars and more systems inside the car that you can drive and, and manage by software. So suddenly mm. building a car more safe in order to make it maybe less harmful to your drivers and to people can actually uh, backfire at you because uh, 
even if you see the cars that were hacked, the cars that are always in the news with all the stories, they're almost always the most sophisticated model, not the, the basic models. Right. And that's because there's much more to play with there. So it's mm-hmm. really uh, can be more complicated than, than it may seem like uh, when, when you think about these two things together. Right. This actually brings up a, a very interesting issue, I think. There are many, many approaches to cybersecurity in general, and specifically if you talk about automotive security, you've seen, we, we've seen all sorts of approaches to how to deal with it, from uh, embedding it in the design phase uh, to uh, only dealing with it later in the development process. I'm curious, since you've been around and, and seen all sorts of companies uh, working in that field, what are the differences in, in approaches that you've seen? And maybe what are the ones uh, that are more prominent these days? Yeah, I, I think so, so obviously once the, the aspect of, of cybersecurity started to, to be more and more relevant, whether this was coming from the manufacturers themselves and later through regulations also, you know, you started to see an ecosystem emerge with a lot of uh, both big companies and startups start bringing all kinds of solutions, both hardware and software, into into, into the playground. Uh, and as, as you say rightly, I mean, different companies focus on different parts. Some focus more on the uh, the build side, how to build a secure a secure product. I kind of consider these as, uh, uh, you know, shift left companies. Because they basically say, you know, uh, we will give you tools that will allow you to bring in the security right from the early phases of your, of your, of your building. And at the same time, you know, there are other companies that are more focused on the operational side, uh, building uh, intrusion detection systems, security operation centers that, you know, the, the idea there is that uh, how, whatever, how much security you put in the car, you, you still need to, you know, bad things will, will happen and you still need to, to have this operation around. And, and I would kind of consider those the shift right companies. And from a general perspective, you know, there's room for both. And if you look at industries that are more mature, you definitely see the, the entire left to right happening. I mean, look at the IT side. You, you would find companies bringing values in, in all parts. I think. In automotive specifically, uh, one thing that is a little different is that at least to this day, cars are not being hacked on a mass scale. I mean, uh, there are incidents here and there, some get into the news, there's a lot of uh, kind of petty crime, uh, cyber crime and things like that. But from different reasons, uh, it's definitely not where IT is. And uh, and to that point, a lot of the companies that kind of bet on this operational side still, uh, I think, uh, are struggling because uh, there's not a clear uh, return on investment. Uh, it's very hard to, to go to customer and show uh, this is how much money you lose or maybe worse, how, how many lives maybe you lose uh, without those protections. It's still... It's almost as an insurance policy today. It's uh, everyone considered there's a there's a risk there, but you know, try to sell life insurance in a world where nobody dies, right? I mean, it's it's going to be very hard. But at the same time, definitely there's a lot of move and 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 and, and progress in how many requirements and how much focus uh, the companies are putting into building a secure car. 
whether that came from their own best practices or from all kinds of market pressures and re- regulatory pressure. So a lot of the companies start understanding then have to bring in tools uh, to make the car more secure. And companies that provide a solution there, whether these are secure chipsets or secure gateway uh, or uh, analysis of code and binary vulnerability management, things uh, that protect the integrity flow, everything that is kind of on the shift left, uh, there's definitely already demand for them. And those companies uh, definitely succeed more uh, today than those on the right. And this is where the focus is currently uh, at, at this market today. So, so just a, a quick follow-up question to, to what uh, Saf just talked about. I'm curious, when you talk about shift left, some have noted the fact that once you start intervening more and more in the development phase, um, there are a lot of people and a lot of teams that may be, you know, less happy about you intervening with their process. So I'm curious how big of a problem is that in the automotive industry, that's a problem we know from other industries, you know, uh, with DevOps, for example, uh, mm-hmm. um, not always liking security people intervening with their operations. So I'm curious how prominent is that issue in, in automotive in your mind? I think it's very prominent. I've seen it uh, first uh, hand in, uh, in Harman where I worked in, which was really the, the from all the co- different companies I worked at, this, my experience there was really... Uh, dealt with how to bring security culture and security practices into a very big company that really develops uh, products uh, in a very global and distributed way across many sites uh, with many engineers that has many other things they need to worry about, not just security. And I mean, Security, if you, if you read a lot about how to do security, not just in automotive, everywhere, uh, it typically starts with uh, how you consider security as a culture. And at the end of the day, and it really, what I'm saying here is, is it goes way beyond uh, automotive or even product security. Uh, the, the kind of last frontier for your secure code is not the security expert, it's the developer. He will or she will be the one that at the end of the day, will write the line of code that would make your car secure or not. And no matter how many security people you put afterwards, uh, that would be very hard to find. So uh, mission number one of of any security organization is to bring a culture that would uh, bring security awareness to every developer. The second thing you need to have is processes. So culture is great, but that allows you to understand that you need to consider security, but but what do you do about it? And this is where process comes. And companies that are doing security well, they're looking at security as a governance thing, as building the processes. And then, I mean, automotive company has a lot of processes. You don't need to reinvent the wheel, but you need to embed the security aspects into the existing processes. It's a lot of the things that we've done, again, at, at Harman. And, and then how you uh, audit that, right? Uh, now, all of these things, I mean, it's, I think it's clear as I, as I describe them that they have to happen internally. The ecosystems around can give you the tools, the advisory, the, uh, the technology, the know-how, but they can't make you secure. I mean, they, they, you have to bring that 
uh, culture and organization and processes within your own uh, within your organization, whether you're a car company or 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 supplier, uh, a big supplier. And um, again, I think from a kind of a, I think almost nine years perspective, I think I've seen some companies that invested in that uh, uh, took it very seriously, and others that less so. And I think that it is really what can uh, make the difference between having a robust and secure product to having something that uh, you will have to work much harder to kind of, um, um, you know, deal with the incidents, deal with the the bugs. Not that everyone is 100% secure, but if you build the processes and you have the automation, uh, you will probably have... uh, an easier and, and I think more importantly, uh, a controlled and sustainable way to to manage your security. You will not be chasing your tail all the time. Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, curious. You know, we all know the the GPAC or or the the events that uh, are uh, published and, and and everyone is familiar with. I'm curious about moments that you witnessed. If you could give us a sneak peek into a moment that you witnessed, and you can share that may shape may have shaped your view of product security uh, and the trajectory of product security going forward, if you can think of something like that. Yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely some moments in the early days of my career in this automotive industry that, uh, that shaped that uh, understanding uh, that, unfortunately, I, I can't, really, can't really share in details because uh, one of the things we did for, uh, for Cisco is that we had a Reddit team, a penetration test team, and we were doing a lot of projects for uh, companies that actually paid us to hack their cars, right? And I would um, often go and talk to the team and, you know, see the stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm not as talented to do it myself, but I can definitely appreciate a good story. And, and, and you know, I remember, without going into names and details, you know, some of these uh, stories where uh, they showed me how they uh, looked at the car. I remember, you know, things like you, you would not even considered like, like you know, a browser. First of all, a browser on a car, that was a revelation. Why, why, would, why would you have a browser on a car? But apparently, if you want to have a nice user experience and maybe you want to serve the, the web or maybe you want to get a service, you know, you, you get a browser. And now, what browser you have? Fortress open source stuff, right? You get uh, WebKit, you get some stuff off, you know, that Google publishes as open source or Mozilla, or one of these guys. And uh, but uh, unlike in a computer where uh, you can have an update on a daily basis, right? There's a nice icon that you press, and voila, you have a, a new a new browser. In a car, you may have something that is like two years old. You know, it's very easy for a hacker to look at the version to go and, and query a vulnerability database. And to see things that that not only vulnerabilities, there are non-exploitable vulnerabilities. You can actually get a code how to exploit, and and using that to get to other systems in the car because they're all connected, and they're all connected in the bus that was invented in the eighties, hmm. and has no sense of authentication and has no sense of authorization. And basically, any uh, today it's better, right? But back then. Uh, any system in the car, if it get a message to do something, it will do it. No questions asked. It doesn't. It doesn't care who he got it from. 
because that was building a system that is completely contained and, and, and disconnected from anything else. But those assumptions changed. So I just remember when I start uh, connecting all those dots together, you know, you go, oh, oh man, <laughs> we have a problem, right? I mean, the, there's a lot of work to do here. And, uh, and also it's the feeling like you're, you're kind of sitting on a secret, right? Like you're, you're kind of sitting on something that you're just gonna uh, one day, uh, I don't know, blow up. And, and, and then again, uh, going back to the point of JPEG, again, as I said before, it did not surprise me, but it was this event where suddenly like the things, uh, those things became, uh, you know, in the news. And, you know, I think, uh, fortunately, uh, fortunately because of all kinds of reasons, uh, that really never turned into uh, a mass scandal. Uh, and the industry was allowed the time to work on the things. And I think a lot of good things have been done since. And there's no compare comparison uh, between 2013 and, and two, 2021. But I think that it really shocks you at first. It looks completely like the internet. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember, but right. I mean, you one day you had those computers that are not connected to anything. And then somebody... Uh, discovers the the marvel of uh, connecting things to the internet, and you start having features and features and stupid things like Java applets, right? That you can actually download any kind of code from remote, and nobody stopped uh, 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 stopped from it and and, and said, uh, "Wait a minute, our uh, original assumptions about what is a computer is completely changed. We need to redesign the computer. No, it took a lot of viruses and worms and a lot of bad things for the industry to kind of, uh, you know, get it together and, and start being security. And in cars, uh, it kind of happened without a lot of the damage in the world of IT, uh, but it followed a similar trajectory in many ways. So Asaf, what, what are your practical tips that you would give for product security professionals in 2022? And going forward, I, w- I want to talk a little about this uh, open source uh, software because I think it's the big issue, really. Uh, and and the reason I'm saying it, and, and now it's 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 easy to say it because we had this log4j, and everyone talks about it. If people don't know, log4j is uh, a very very common utility to log things, uh, and there's a tremendous amount of software in the world. That just uses it because it's very easy. It's open. It's open source software, and 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 very recently there was a, a very uh, significant vulnerability that really allows uh, anyone really very easily to kind of run um, remote execution things on, on things that run log4j, uh, and now everyone is trying to kind of close that hole. But I think the the kind of uh, Cautionary, cautionary tale here is is why would serious companies building very critical products would consider putting a software that is really being managed by a very small team of people was not funded for many years why would i anyone in his right mind would decide to put it there in the first place but the answer is because that's how we bring innovation and progress. If we need to develop everything ourselves, it will take just years to bring a product. And open source 
software brought a lot of uh, innovation and a lot of agility to the world. And for many years, I think we enjoyed it, not considering the the dark side of it. And when I say the dark side is not that, I mean, we, there, there's also things like let's, let's poison repositories and make you, make you think like my open source software is legit. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about this software is not having the same rigidity or the same scrutiny or the same uh, level of uh, security processes that you do for everything else. Uh, and it's very, but it's going to be used more and more. And I think we really have to uh, reshape our thinking around that because we're going to continue to use it in all those critical products, definitely in product security. Uh, but uh, we have to take ownership of some piece of software that we didn't write. Um, and making a, a long kind of a circle to your question, um, to me, um, there's a lot of things that product security specialists need to worry, worry about. But I think the amount of open source software in the product and the complexity that it, it brings is definitely number one. And that would require processes. It would require automation. It would require some, I think, cross-industry efforts uh, to make sure that uh, we find the right balance between uh, not compromising the agility and the great things that open source software bring with, but at the same time, not compromising the security of, of our product. Log4j is a great example, but there have been other before. I mean, there was Hardbleed and there was Blueborn, and I mean, it, it, it comes and goes in cycles. And, 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 and I think that uh, we have to uh, kind of consider it just part of, part of the work is to, first of all, make sure we understand what, what we bring in. And secondly, also, uh, how to manage it when there are those vulnerabilities, how to fix it quickly, how to understand its impact, all, the, all, all, all those things. I think this will be a, a big focus of what automotive, but not just automotive, I mean, uh, product security and general security will focus in the next years to come. That would be my uh, main tip or main advice to product security professionalist. Asaf, all I can say is uh, keep us posted because we're all uh, eager uh, to see and learn uh, what, what will your next post will be uh, after uh, such an interesting uh, journey. And thanks again for spending the time with us and, uh, and wish you all the best. Thank you. Looking forward. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.